0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. One more announcement on not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. We're going to have our Discover Life class, which is kind of our membership class. What is our church all about? What are kind of the basics of what we believe? How do I get involved? What, what can I add to the team? We, we, we take a, 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 a test in there called Spiritual Gifts Test, where it just kind of helps us to see what we're gifted at, what God put in us. And uh, it's a lot of fun, plus there's a free, they say there ain't no free lunch, there's free lunch, alright? We give you a lunch, and so it'll be a great time, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. I've been having a blast teaching from uh, the book of Ruth, and we are now in the last chapter, if you have your Bibles, Ruth chapter 4, and uh, we have been talking about um, how we can even see Jesus in, the old, in this Old Testament story. And last week we called the message Boaz and What's-His-Face, remember? Because as we left last week, Boaz was getting ready to meet with What's-His-Face. And the reason we called him that is because the Bible doesn't tell us his name. And, and there's a reason the Bible doesn't tell us his name. It's because What's-His-Face doesn't care about Ruth. What's-His-Face doesn't know about Ruth. He's not interested in Ruth. And uh, so if you're just joining us on this journey, real quick, Uh, recap. Uh, Naomi and her husband and two sons are from Bethlehem. They're Jewish people, but there's a famine in the land. They move away to a country called Moab and their sons intermarry which Jews weren't supposed to do that but they did. They intermarried with two Moabite women and then it was just a terrible decade. It was a terrible ten years. Naomi's husband dies and not only does her husband die, but her two sons die. So it's just Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth, who this book is named after, and a girl named Orpah. And uh, Ruth says, or Naomi says, okay, the famine's over in Bethlehem. I'm going back home. And uh, her two daughter-in-laws say, we're going with you. She says, no, don't go with me. It's going to cost you too much. We have different gods there. We have different customs there. You just won't fit in 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 Israel. And the Bible said that Orpah kissed her mother which we learn that kissing means goodbye, but Ruth hugged her, held on, wouldn't let go. She goes with her back to Bethlehem. Now, when Naomi left Bethlehem, she was from a well-to-do family, but now she's coming back poverty-stricken. Her husband's gone. Her two sons are gone. And so now she goes from being a landowner to being a... Um, uh, being. Left to slavery. And so Naomi's an older woman. She stays home. Ruth goes out in the fields, gleans from the corners of the fields as the poor people did. But she gets in a very favorable field, the field of a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz takes care of her, not only allows her to glean from the sides of the field, but he gives her more than enough. Last week we found out that Boaz is what's called a kinsman redeemer. He has the ability to restore her uh, and bring her back and get, get that family back to the standing that they once had. If he will buy the family property and marry Ruth, that can happen. So Ruth, we heard last time, went and she laid at his feet while he was, uh, while he was gathering the grain. And, um, and that's where we pick it up because Boaz says, I would love to do this. I'd love to buy the field and I'd love to marry you, Ruth, but there's a closer relative. We're not told what the guy's name is, but there's a closer relative, and uh, Naomi said to Ruth, he will not rest until he gets this settled. And so here's where we pick it up uh, today. And today I'm calling it the moral of the story, because the question I really want to deal with today is, why is this story in the Bible? I mean, it's a great story, but what what makes it Bible-worthy? What makes this story uh, worthy to to be written in God's Word? And we're going to find that out uh, today. So beginning at chapter 4, verse 1, and uh, if you wouldn't mind standing, stretch your legs one more time uh, if you're able to, and we'll just stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'll read a few verses, and then I'll let you be seated. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat there, and when the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, this is what's-his-face, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, do so, but if you'll not, tell me so I'll know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm the next in line. And what's his face says, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, well, but on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow. He doesn't make her sound very attractive, does he? Ruth the Moabitess, you're going to get this dead guy's widow if you get this land. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the kinsman said, I can't do it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I can't do it you may be seated i've been calling this uh, i've been calling this series truth from ruth and the first truth that i want to share with us today is this one man's trash is another man's treasure one man's trash is another man's treasure Once his face only saw ruth as a Moabitess. Moabitess is short for dirty, rotten sinner. She's a non-Jew. She's the widow of the dead guy who's not even an Israelite. She's She's a dirty, rotten sinner. She's a Moabitess. I think there's a huge question that's facing the American church today. Who's the church for? Who is our church for? Why do we exist? Do we exist for me and my family? 90% of people surveyed said, yes, that's the purpose of the church. We exist for me and my family. Only 10% of people said that the church exists to see lost people come to Jesus. Did you realize that we're living in a time when this millennial generation, uh, the baby baby boomers, 85% or so claim themselves to be Christians. In one generation, the millennials are saying now 15% are claiming Christians. A Christian affiliation. It's a little better than that in Knoxville, in the Bible Belt, but countrywide, about 15% of the millennials are claiming themselves as Christians. And we have a decision to make Life What? Why are we going to have church? You know, when I came to, to Knoxville, I did a little study of this city. We have over 700 Southern Baptist churches in Knoxville. I said 700 of one denomination. And I think Southern Baptists are great. I went to Southern Baptist Seminary. I'm not, I'm not saying that to knock Southern Baptists. I'm just saying that Knoxville's doing really good with church people. How many believe that? We're, we are good with church people. You know what I mean? We have a lot of churches, and we have a lot of churches for church people. And let's just pretend that the center of this stage here is the line where people cross the line of faith and they move from death to life. They move from being a non-believer. They move to being a believer. And then all the way on this continuum, there are people that are over here that are far from God. And there's people way over the other stage that they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. They're rarely close to God. But right here in the middle is this, is this line where people cross the line of faith. I want to know, as a church, are we ready to treasure the people that are outside of the family of God? Are we ready to treasure people who now are going to be 85% who claim themselves non-believers? Why would we establish a church that just became another church for church people in Knoxville? Nothing wrong with that, but I think we got it covered. You know what I'm saying? What if there was a church for the 85 percent people who, who claim no religious affiliation, who don't know the Lord, and uh, and who some of the some of the Christian world would look at as dirty, rotten sinners? Can I suggest to you today that Jesus got most of his criticism for what? For who he kept company with. He got most of his criticism for eating and drinking with people who were sinners. This man is a sinner. What are you doing hanging around with sinners? And so here's this guy that here's what's his face. All he knows about ruth he 's never met Ruth he doesn 't know that Ruth gave up everything from Moab and she we don 't know where she 's at on her faith journey we, we She might still slip an occasional Moabitus cuss word, you know what i 'm saying. We we don't know where she's at. She's just come along with Naomi. She's trying to get Moab out of her system. And she's over here somewhere. We don't even know if she's crossed the line of faith yet. But but she's but she's given up for God. She's saying, you know, Naomi, I want to go where you're I want to I want to know what you know. I want to be where you're at. And and, and some people could only look at her as a as a Moabitess woman. And I just God's done something. In me, even since coming to Knoxville, more more than at any other time in my life, and that is this idea of treasuring lost people. You you know, uh, Bill Hybels at Willow Creek said something several years ago. He quit calling them sinners and he started calling them seekers. He, he he just said, you know, what if we just what if we just quit labeling? Because sometimes with the label, once you label somebody, how many know that once somebody labels you, they can put you away and dismiss you. I bet people do that to me. They just lay, "Oh, that's Phil. He's blank," and then you know they just put you on a shelf and they don't have to deal with you anymore. But you know, we can label people as sin. But what if what if there's more to Ruth than the fact that she's just a a Moabitess woman? What if there's more to her? What if, what if one man's trash was, was another man's treasure? What if Boaz saw something different in Ruth? What if Boaz saw something deeper in Ruth? And he wasn't ala- about to let what's-his-face have. have. So when negotiations time came, he made her look as unappealing as possible. This is the widow of the dead guy, and she's a Moabitess. My dad told me recently to get a book by, um, by Andy Stanley called uh, Deep and Wide. It's, it's about growing a church wide and, and growing in number while not growing shallow. How can we grow deep at the same time growing wide? And I, I, was, I was just really taken in, in one of the early chapters of the book when he describes a story I want to read for you. He said, I grew up attending churches designed for church people. No one said it, but the assumption was that church was for church people. The unspoken word to the outside world was, once you start believing and behaving like us, you're welcome to join us. How many know what he's talking about there? Once you start acting like us, then you can be part of us. The corollary of being a church for church people was that we had a tendency to be against everything unchurched people were for. How many have known the church just to be against everything? We're we're against uh, we're against genres of music. We're against alcohol, the lottery, equal rights amendment, gay people, and Democrats. That's that's what he said. But our dilemma then is the dilemma that has struggled uh, throughout history: who is the church for? Who gets to be part of the Jesus gathering? And then Andy says, My first major encounter with both the importance and complexity of this question took place in 1987 while I was working for my dad. Everyone know who his dad is? Dr. Charles Stanley. This is Dr. Charles Stanley's son. I was working for my dad at our downtown location. For some reason no one can remember, our church got crossways with the d- gay community in Atlanta. This was back when nobody really talked about what kind of, that kind of thing in church. And the organizers of the Gay Pride Day Parade, which always took place on a Sunday, decided to adjust their schedule so that the parade would be passing in front of our church around noon. The approximate time we would be dismissing our congregation from our 11 o'clock worship service. Well, when our church leaders got word of this, they went on the defensive. They decided to let church out early and send everybody out the back so that by the time the parade went in front of the church, all of us good people would be on our way back to the burbs. What happened instead was when they let, us out in time to line, they let us out in time to line the streets to watch the parade, after all, the best way to ensure people to look at something is to tell them not to look, right? So there we were gawking at the show as it slowly made its way down Peachtree Street. Two circumstances associated with this event made a defining moment for me. The first thing was what took place directly across the street from our church. St. Mark United Methodist Church had their members standing along the street handing out cups of waters to parade participants. While some handed out water, others held up posters that read, Everyone welcome. Come worship with us. God is love. The contrast could not have been more pronounced. It was embarrassing, says Andy. The other thing that impacted me was that week, That weekend was our Sunday evening service. I was scheduled to preach the evening service before we knew anything about the parade, and when I found out about the controversy, I asked my dad if he was planning to address the subject of homosexuality in the morning service. He was not, so I asked him if it would be all right if I did. I still remember the concerned look on his face. What are you going to say, he said. I don't know, but since it's going to be on everyone's mind, it seemed like some... But he should say something he agreed and he agreed that it should be me as I prepared my outline the issue I found myself wrestling with was not not what does the Bible say about homosexuality that's easy it's the same thing it says about greedy people people who drink too much and wrongdoers wrongdoers hmm the real issue was the same issue Christians have wrestled with since the beginning who is the church for who gets to participate? How, how good do you have to be? Which sins, if any, disqualify a person? Can the church welcome sinners? And what about unrepentant sinners? And how much baggage does a person have to leave at the door before being admitted? Can someone participate in the church if he or still, she is still working things out? Should we sneak out the back door or serve water and hold up posters? That chapter riveted me. Jesus was most criticized for being welcoming of sinners. I'm not suggesting, and and, and if you leave this building today and say, "Pastor's soft on sin, you heard the wrong message. I'm not soft on sin. I believe that the Bible is true. What he calls sin, sin, and righteousness, righteousness. But I'm not soft on other people's sins, but I'm also not soft on my own sins, if you know what I'm talking about. It's easy for us to to, to label certain sins and certain issues as as taboo. But, But I'm asking you today, is there a church that's going to say to people, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or what even lifestyle that you're living now. We are a place that is two things welcoming and transforming. We are welcoming. But we believe that when you come into God's presence, that God can transform you. I know that people say that people can't change. If I thought that people couldn't change, I would be in a different business. After all, I represent a a Jesus who was dead and came out of the grave. If I didn't think people could change, I would be doing something else. So we welcome people no matter where you are and and, and welcome people far from God. And our our vision is to move people far from God, have them cross the line of faith toward their highest calling as Christ followers. It doesn't mean that we compromise about sin, but it says everything about what our attitude is and whether we're going to be the church that's against everything or we're going to be a church that treasures lost people. Hmm. I was touched downtown one night in old Knoxville as the bars were closing. I saw a ministry there serving hot dogs, lost sheep ministries, downtown Knoxville, Tennessee, serving hot dogs to drunk people um, as a way to say not we're against what you're doing, but we love you, we treasure you, we'll give you a ride home, how can we help you, we'll pray for you. Am I okay this morning? It's kind of quiet in here. Is that all right? I don't know what kind of church y'all want to go to, but I want to go to a church. The treasures lost, people. We we, we got it covered over here. We're good. You know, we if we just want to have a church for church people and and just just have church for us and and build the neatest family life center so we can all be have fun and have our basketball. And there's nothing. Somebody's going to say I preached against basketball leagues. No, I didn't. I'm saying we got it covered over here. I'm saying we're doing fine. I'm saying we need to think about think about your own life before you knew him. Amen. Think what it was like for you when you were a Moabite. Yeah. Now in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property verse 7 to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing a transaction in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer, this is what's-his-face, he says to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed the sandal. So here was the problem. Here's why he didn't want to buy the field. He didn't want to buy the field because if he bought the field, he would have to marry the Moabite woman and then he would have to have a baby with the Moabite woman and then guess who gets the field? The, th- that baby. That field would become the inheritance, not of his, but it would become the inherit. So now there's a woman that comes with the field. Well, this complicates it. I was going to buy the field because this was going to increase my wealth. But now that there's a woman that goes along with the field, me and this woman have to have a baby to keep her line going. And not only is that little whippersnapper going to inherit that field, but be- because he's now my son, he's probably going to inherit some of my stuff. Why would I want that, Right? But here's the deal with Boaz. Here's the difference with Boaz, Judy. It was never about the field. I don't think Boaz gave a rip about the field, Coy. But he saw a treasure in the field. And Jesus tells a parable about the pearl of great price. And he says, whatever you have to pay to get that field, get that field because there's a pearl in that field. And he takes off his sandal. You know that's an interesting that's an interesting thing. Um, here, Boaz, Noah, you take her. You know why the sandal? Give me that back. You know why the sandal? I was studying that issue of the sandal, and, and, and he has to explain it here in the passage because it was an ancient practice. It wasn't even being practiced anymore. But it had to do with, when, when, remember when they took the promised land? And what, you remember what he said to Joshua? He said, every place that you set your foot, every place where your sandal touches, I'm going to give you. I, I'm going to give you wherever your sandals walk, I'm going to give you. And that's the next truth. You can only possess where you are willing to walk. You can only possess where you're willing to walk. We had a, we had a great board meeting the other night. Uh, and, and I said to the board, I said, you know what, guys? We can have as much victory as we want. We we can believe for as much as we want over there on Cedar Lane. We can believe for God to fill this place twice. We can believe that He's gonna we're gonna build another building, and we're gonna fill it full of lost people. We can do that. We can have as much as you want. The question is What are we willing to walk in? Where are we willing to put our sandals? And what's-his-face was not willing to put his sandals in that field uh, because of what it would cost him. But Boaz said, I'll take your sandal and I'll walk there because let me tell you something, We're going to have to walk it out if we're going to have this kind of ministry. Not everyone's going to like it if we have this kind of ministry, but but we're going to have to walk it out and work it out. But every place that we set our foot, God promised that he'd give us. And I don't know about you, but I'm claiming lost people by the hundreds and thousands in Knoxville, Tennessee. Life, church, we can have however much victory we're willing to walk out. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people today, you are the witnesses. I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess. Woo! He's excited. Malon's widow is my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among the family or from the town records today. You're all my witnesses. And they all said, "Here, here!" Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we're your witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah Like Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah that's a ghastly story Tamar's was a widow and she couldn't get any of the brothers to marry her as they were supposed to do so that she didn't learn she didn't learn lose her inheritance she dressed up like a prostitute seduced her father-in-law got her father-in-law to as my friend Terry Dykman says, canoodle with her. They had a baby named Perez. When we look at the story, we think, what a dirty woman to do that. When God looks at the story... He sees a bunch of brothers who didn't do that, what they were supposed to do. He sees a father-in-law who didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he sees a woman who says, I'm going to refuse to lose. One of the truths from Ruth is that the future belongs to those who refuse to lose. Those who won't take no for an answer. Naomi says... You know what, Ruth? We're not destined to work in this field. We still have property here that there's somebody that should buy it back. Why not Boaz? Boaz is the best person we know in this whole country. Let's refuse to lose. Let's do what we've got to do to get Boaz's attention. And so she refuses to lose. Let me just tell let me. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. This point is for somebody. Somebody just needs to get this point only today. Because the enemy has got you down and he's got you pinned. And you need to say with the scripture, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. I am not destined for defeat. I am not destined to be pinned down by the devil. I am not, I refuse, I refuse to end my life in this, in this pig pen. Rejoice not against me. My destiny is in God's hands. I refuse to lose. Mm. You go on about your bad self, Tamar. You refuse. I, I know, I know it's unconventional means, but nobody's gonna take your blessing. And then we get to the boring part of the boring part of the story. You ever get to these in the Bible, the genealogies? So, so Boaz took Ruth to become his wife, then he went into her. That means canoodle. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who has this day not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. Big deal, Obed. You never heard of Obed, right? Obed. Oh boy, Obed. He was, wait a minute. I don't think I just read what I just read. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse. Sounds more familiar. And Jesse was the father of David. This is more than a neat story about a Moabitess woman coming into her land and and God working out some good things. Here's here's the last point I want to share with you on, in the book of Ruth. You gotta hear this this morning. Your story is bigger than you. It was never about you. We all know it well. The sins of the fathers are carried down to the fourth, third, and fourth generations. We. We all know what that's like to carry some of our father's sins and to carry some of the issues that have plagued our family for generations. But if that's all you get, if that's all you get, you missed it. Because he said, the sins of the fathers are carried down to the third and fourth generations. But he shows his love to a thousand generations of those that fear him. Now now, now listen to me. Listen to me about this 85%. What if we saw... These 85% people over here. And what if what if they represented not just a person getting saved? What if they represented a legacy of a thousand generations? I know that's pretty cool, but it's it's cooler than you think it is. Because I mentioned Jesus was in this story. I, I, I have a weird feeling about Boaz looking at Ruth. And, and, and just hear me out here. You and Jesus, of course, is not even on the scene yet. He's a twinkle in God's eye, though. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Somehow, I think Boaz looks looks in in her eyes, Natalie. He looks at Ruth and I I can't even I can't even explain what I see in this girl's eyes. I think somehow he saw G- Jesus in her. Jesus hadn't even existed. In the book of Matthew, chapter one, I won't bore you with the whole genealogy, but it goes over the genealogy I just read, and then it says that Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, the father of Azor. These are all these are all Root's kings. These are all Root's generations. Azor, the father of Zadok, the father of Achim, the father of Eliot, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, the father of Nathan the father Nathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband. the genealogy of Jesus. And I say that to say, what if we looked in the eyes of the Moabites around us, and instead of seeing the dirty, rotten sinner, what if we could detect Jesus in Now, not looking forward to Jesus, but now from the line of Jesus, I see you, Jack, as one of Jesus' kids. Noah Jesus oh, you. Jesus in you. Joel, I see Jesus in you. If we saw Jesus, what if we saw beyond? we lose lose all ability to speak to people outside of the family of God when all they know about us is that we're against. You just lost your ability. You just lost your conversation. You just lost your inroad with people. We treasure lost people. And we see Jesus in them. You know, I got a we got a guy I went to college with Christian College with and he is he is as gay as gay can be lives in San Francisco and are Facebook friends we talk from time to time occasionally he sends me a week I, I posted something at Christmas time I was doing a blog at Christmas time and I posted this blog at Christmas time. And it wasn't two minutes later from California. He posts back. He said, "You're different, Phil." He said, "I don't know why. And you're different." And, 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 and he he knows where I stand on issues in the Bible and all of that. Don't worry. I still I'm still conservative biblically. He said, "You're different." Have a relationship with him, and it's not over. Might be 10 years, might be 15 years, but you know what? He's my friend. And I see Jesus in him. And I see Jesus in him. I don't know what happened in his life to get him where he is today, and it doesn't matter because he doesn't know what got me and where I was to get to where I was. But Thank God somebody saw Jesus in me. about you I like this term history is his story history is his story we are supporting actors in the real drama that's developing throughout the ages that is the story of the king of kings and the lord of lords who will reign supreme forever and ever your sweet presence in this place and I want to thank you for a church that I believe joins me in the mission of moving lost people moving people far from God toward their highest potential which means that we have to love them where they're at care about people where they're at because you cared for us I love you, Lord.